0: You are locked on the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome to your favorite day of the week, Friday the 13th. I'm your host, Adam Matas, host of the Locked On Nuggets podcast. My co-host, Anthony Irwin, host of the Locked On Lakers podcast, is not available for the show. Las Vegas has him now. He's been in Vegas along with myself for a week. Um, but unable to make this show, but not to be worried. I've got you covered. want to talk about in segments two and three, I want to talk about the winners and losers of the first week of Summer League. Summer League play still going on. The tournament still going on. But we have had an opportunity to see most of the big name players, um, especially the, the top picks in, in this year's draft, Uh, at the las vegas summer league throughout the week three or four games under the belt for most of most of the players we'll talk about so i want to go over the big picture winners and losers through one week but before we begin i want to start with some big news surrounding the denver nuggets the team i cover the most closely two big meals uh, two big deals made by them overnight between thursday and friday night the first of which was signing isaiah thomas the former mvp candidate to a veteran minimum one-year deal to come off the bench and be their sixth man. The second deal, of course, was to send Kenneth Freed and Darrell Arthur out to the Brooklyn Nets for what was basically just a straight salary dump. Along, the Denver included a top-12 protected 2019 first-round draft pick. Uh, Denver saves that that quick deal. Uh, Kenneth Freed, I think, will actually be a guy that gets minutes in Brooklyn. He's from New Jersey, so. He has been out of the Nuggets rotation for about a season and a half. He played a little bit of spot minutes here and there a, a season ago, but in the 2018-19 season, he was largely receiving DNPs despite being healthy. Uh, he's a useful player. He's on a contract worth $13 million that expires. Darrell Arthur on a contract around $7.5 million, which also expires. So for Brooklyn, they absorb that salary cap space for just one year, but earn what likely earn uh, a late teens lottery pick next year I think Denver projected to probably finish somewhere between ninth and fourth in the Western Conference Um, so that so that pick is actually a pretty good asset for them an opportunity for them to swing on another player somewhere in the middle of next year's draft Uh, For Denver's size, it does save them from being not only from being in the luxury tax, but by being able to shed about $21 million of salary. They actually have room now about $8 million to sign one more player Their Denver roster has 14 players currently active um, when you include two ways and everything. So they have a spot available should they want to add some depth. And I think in particular, when you look at the Denver Nuggets roster, um, they really are doubling down on their offensive identity. They were 24th in defensive rating last season, 6th in offensive rating. And really those numbers kind of hide the truth. Denver was a tremendous, for the last two seasons, a tremendous offensive team. Adding Isaiah Thomas as a sixth man I think solidifies them as one of the league's two or three best offenses. I think there's a chance. Denver will have the best regular season offensive rating next season. Um, Nikola Jokic, when he is on the court, Denver has been a transcendent offense now for two seasons, a large enough sample size and consistently enough that I think it's safe to say now the more minutes he plays and plays with shooting around him and playmakers around him, the more Denver's offense creeps up into that 115 zone with him on the court. One of the reasons Denver did not finish with a top three offense in the last season was their bench really struggled to score. Whenever Jokic went to went to the bench and, and some of the second unit players came in, uh, Denver's offense actually was one of the league worst. So putting Isaiah Thomas into a six-man ro- uh, role and, and head coach Michael Malone, who coached Isaiah Thomas in Sacramento, uh, ha- has already come out and said that the the plan is to leave Jamal Murray as the starter and will and Jamal Murray likely to close most games since he is one of the faces of Denver's the 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 future of the franchise and one of the guys they want who has kind of stolen that that head uh, I'm sorry starting point guard position and I think somebody they don't want to take that from now that he's earned it so Isaiah Thomas more of a a bench guy who will be have a green light to shoot green light to run everything on the bench pick and roll with Mason Plumley, who's a great secondary playmaker and a great uh, finisher on the lob, on the roll. Nikola Jokic, who I think is the best short-rolling big man in the entire NBA by leaps and bounds. Um, he will have that threat. So the pick and rolls, Isaiah Thomas will be working with in Denver will will fit him very nicely to be a uh, a high-level shooter and scorer and playmaker in there. But Michael Malone has said he plans to use him as the bench guy, and I think it's a good fit. You know, it's interesting that two less than two seasons ago he was a a legitimate mvp candidate in boston 8.7 offensive box plus minus one uh, i I think somewhere in like the 120 offensive rating when he was on the court and again he's playing with a player and al horford is a a, a versatile type guy so that it'll be somewhat seamless to see him playing alongside Nikola Jokic. i think Al Horford and Nikola Jokic throwing away the defensive aspect offensively they're much a, a very very similar style i think Jokic much more dynamic passer shooter playmaker you know I, I think he's he's a much more dynamic offensive talent so on the offensive end i expect Isaiah Thomas to return to form um and really lead both the second unit but also when he plays with Nikola Jokic just the offense to go to uh to new heights so i think a good a, a good fit for him and it was a low risk move for Denver a veteran minimum you know we all remember about a year ago this time uh, with an interview with Isaiah Thomas him talking about backing up the Brinks trucks okay here I'm ready for my payday well what a year he had being traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers then traded again to the Los Angeles Lakers and his dreams of a big payday along with the injury um really went out the window so for him the 60th pick a guy who's been a journeyman so far in his his career, played for a lot of different teams, and who has also sort of been an underdog, is right back to square one in many ways. Signing a one-year deal, betting on himself, and once again out to prove uh, to prove what he can do. But I think for Denver, all of the moves taken in uh, taken together, and actually going back to the Wilson Chandler deal even. They the Denver Nuggets shed Kenneth Reed, Darrell Arthur, and Wilson Chandler about thirty-five million dollars in salary, and they shed it for the cost of basically a couple second-round picks and a first and one heavily protected first-round pick. So I think these were deals that were win-wins for all sides. For Brooklyn, I think it's a win for them to 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 grab an asset. Darrell Arthur, a tremendous locker room guy, he's also something of a stretch four. Maybe he can play stretch five in, in certain lineups, and Kenneth Reed going. More or less home. He's from New Jersey, so going more or less home. He'll be a guy that can be an impact player. You can run the pick and roll with him. And although he's overpaid on that contract, Brooklyn was in a position where that didn't matter, and and so it'll be a win for them as well. All right, now on to summer league. And on to the winners and losers. First of all, I think one of the big winners of Summer League, as has been the case for every year, five years, this is my fifth Summer League I covered, uh, that, I, that, I, that I was covering. I think this is, the talent is so rich in the NBA right now. When I went to, to, to Summer League and, and spent a week out there, really just every single game there was somebody you wanted to watch. And I don't, it's been like that I think for a couple years, but no more so than this year where... There were there were games where there was two guys on one side of the floor. They're like, oh man, those are high level prospects. And on the other side of the floor, oh man, those are that's two or three high level prospects. So I think the league is just in such a healthy place right now, uh, because of all of the incoming talent, all of the talent already established that you have players like Dragon Bender, who I'm going to get to in a little bit. Who you know. Was a highly, you know, three years ago you thought of him as like, oh, this is what a unique player. Well, now there's just so many guys coming into the league with unique skill sets and uh, so many guys who can shoot the ball, so many bigs who can do, who are versatile, not one-dimensional players. That I, I really just think the big winner of summer league was the NBA because of how much talent is coming in. But then also the winner of the NBA because I think last year might have been a little bit more. Uh, of a zoo because Alonzo ball and the Laker fans who are able to drive out from LA and and, and, and the arena was a little bit more packed last year than it was this year, but still the buzz around summer league. Uh, it, it's just, it's an event. I call it the comic con for basketball nerds. And I think that's pretty accurate. Um, but, but the, it just like the actual comic con summer league just continues to grow in popularity the the production of it all the theatrics of it all i think the nba has done a great job of marketing it and it's truly an event you know it's funny i hear from people sometimes what summer league why why is that a big deal after the draft who really cares about that well the answer is a growing number of nba fans who are not just fans but fanatics i think the nba is growing their casual fan base, but they're also growing the the percentage of people that tune into shows like this one because they want to hear the, the the nuanced details of who showed out in these meaningless exhibition games, and I, and I think that's really cool. In no particular order, here's a list of some players. I think first on my list, and again, this isn't a ranking, Mitchell Robinson I think has to be one of the big winners of this uh, summer league because he leads... All of summer league in blocks per game, which is pretty remarkable. I mean, the guy has a really unique NBA body. Um, he uh, Let's see, I'm, I'm trying to pull up that. Yeah, 3.8 blocks per game is pretty. And, and that's actually in line with his EYBL numbers. He is a guy that. Went to Western Kentucky last year, committed to Western Kentucky. Really bizarre story. Arrived uh, on campus, then left, then ended up ultimately dropping out and never playing a game. Um, only only got in a few practices. So he's a guy that coming into the draft was as big of a mystery as just about anybody. Maybe outside of Michael Porter Jr., he was as big of a of a mystery with tremendous upside. His numbers in some of those um, high level AAU events were off the charts. He went up against players like. Um, DeAndre Ayton Mo Bamba and he looked like the better defensive prospect Jaron Jackson Jr. Wendell Carter Played against all of those guys, alongside and, and against all of those guys, and he looked like the best defensive prospect in the draft. Now, Jaron Jackson Jr., I think, is another guy I'm going to get to in a second. I don't want to say that Mitchell Robinson right now looks like the best defensive center in this draft, but it's within, after a, a week of summer league and four games, he looks exactly as good, I think, as you would have hoped if you were a Knicks fan because the guy just has instincts for contesting shots. His ability to co- to close out on the three-point shot and then recover to grab the rebound or, or or to contest shots at the rim. It's just as high level as I've seen from anybody at Summer League. He's long, he's mobile, he, he puts a lot of effort in, and short stretches, I think his conditioning, he looks like a guy that needs to add a lot of, a strength to his, especially to his lower body, to be able to play longer stretches. But in short bursts, you really just see the guy that can cover an incredible amount of time in the pick and roll. He's so long, his legs and arms so long, he's able to sort of contain uh, the point guard as they turn, turn the corner, force them to pick up the dribble. But then he's so quick and mobile, he's able to re- re- recover back to the roll man, um, which really, you know, everybody, the everything is centered around switching especially this last year in the NBA but he was one of the rare guys that you look at that say he's so long and mobile that he can actually contain the ball long enough to not switch even if there's a great screen even if the spacing you know really takes away the help side guy he seemed like a guy that could do a good job of containing the ball and pick and roll and then recovering to the to the big guy rolling without giving anything up so I was really impressed with him he was he he, one of the one of the big standouts one of the guys I was most intrigued by just because We didn't get that year of college to kind of see if he was the real deal. But I think so far through summer league, he certainly looks like somebody uh, uh, an intriguing young prospect and terrific value for a second round pick. Another New York Knick, Kevin Knox, another big winner here. Now, he didn't shoot the ball as well as I think, you know, most people would assume. I I think you'd be a little bit surprised to see that he only shot thirty five percent from the field. Twenty seven of seven seventy seven. But in the moments where he did score, shoot the ball or, or, or there were flashes where you saw he really does a good job of uh, of getting around defenders, especially in transition, the length was there. The shots when they did go down were just so pure looking that he, he looks like a tremendous upside play and being so young, shooting 35 percent from the field, not good. But I think you you are more impressed by a guy that age and that size and with that unique skill set. You're more impressed by what he can do than maybe what he did do. So, to put it in other words, the 35% is what he can what what he did do. But I think you look at that and say I think those numbers can come up because the tools are there uh, for him to be such a long dynamic scorer. I mean, he looked on the court. He looked so much taller than everybody guarding him, and his handle looked a lot better. I think. One of the knocks on a lot of the Kentucky players, or I guess both both of the Kentucky, big name Kentucky players at Summer League showed out. And I think when you provide NBA spacing, sometimes guys just look a lot more dynamic than they did at college where the spacing is a little bit more compact. Kevin Knox, number one on that list in terms of guys that his game really seemed to open up. I think maybe the most impressive player for me. The most impressive player at Summer League was Wendell Carter Jr. I, I was really, really high on this guy coming into uh, to Summer League. But 16.8 points per game on 63% shooting. He was 26 for 41 from the field uh, throughout four games at Summer League. 7.8 rebounds per game, 1.5 assists, 2.8 blocks per game is, is tremendous. And he just looks like the real deal. He looks like the complete package. Um, I think that he... Him and Jaron Jackson, to me, are the two best bigs coming into this draft. And I know DeAndre Ayton fans, I think, are going to roll their eyes a little bit at that. But when you look at the skill sets that are most valuable in today's NBA, both of those guys seem to have it. Guard on the perimeter, guard in the interior, high high IQs on the defensive end, high IQs on the offensive end, and then dynamic enough on the offensive end and also smart enough to know where they fit into the offense. I think one of the biggest skills offensively uh, for centers is to understand when to shoot, when not to, and what's a good shot and what type of shots to hunt for. Wendell Carter, I think, is that guy who who's just sort of kind of gets where his shots are going to come from in, in the at the NBA level and accepts and embraces those. And by the way, he's pretty good at them as well. Um, so he was a big winner in this one. I mentioned him a couple times now. I should probably bring him up. Jaron Jackson Jr. got to watch a couple of his games right up close and personal, baseline level, and man, is that guy a, just an incredible specimen. I watched back-to-back games, DeAndre Ayton and Jared Jackson Jr. And DeAndre Ayton, you know, some guys, especially given his size, they sort of float around the court, and that doesn't mean that they're not trying, but the, just the, you don't really feel the intensity. And I think... DeAndre Ayton is one of those guys where you don't really feel as physical and as imposing as he is. You don't always feel his like physical, how physically dominating dominating he can be. Jaron Jackson, you f- just watching him, you can feel him on the court. He is a hundred mile per hour player on the defensive end. Intensity, the scowls, just the the. Won't back down. He's the type of guy that goes up to block shots at the risk of being completely posterized. He just his intensity level, I think, is just off the charts. And again, he didn't have. It wasn't all good games from Jaron Jackson Jr. He he had some 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 ugly moments in his three games uh, in there. Only got 29 shots off, about 10 shots per game, and shot 35%. But another guy, 2.7 blocks per game, 1.7 assists, eight rebounds, and just 11 points. But man, did you did he stick out every second he was on the court? When he was on the court, he looked like the best player uh, on the court every single moment I saw him. Shea Gilgis Alexander, if if you had to pick one winner, I, he, it might be Shea. Shea was was absolutely fantastic in in this stretch here. And some of the knocks, this is another thing with. I think we're seeing this trend with Kentucky, and every year we kind of forget about Kentucky players. But you know. Kentucky tries to grab as much talent as they can every every single year. And it's smart. I mean, those guys come together. uh, They defend the heck out of the ball. And but it sometimes comes at the expense of players becoming much more limited in their roles. Well, with Shea, there were a lot of questions about, you know, how can he run the pick and roll? How does he get around? How does he orchestrate an offense? Can he shoot the ball? Well, I think we get the answer to a lot of those questions, and it's he can do all of those things. In four four Summer League games, 28 minutes per game, 19 points per game. So big question mark was how is he going to score at the next level? Well, at least it's Summer League, and we have to pump the brakes on all of these guys because Summer League is so different. I mean, Ian Clark was a Summer League MVP. But Shea Gildress Alexander at least dominated so many of his matchups, 19 points per game. Scoring did not seem to be a problem. And that's on 40%. 46 percent efficiency which is pretty good for a point guard in summer league five rebounds a game four four assists per game one block per game 2.3 steals per game this is a guy that just fills up every little piece of the box score and he looks the part i think he can be a great two-way player uh, two-way point guard he's got the height to guard multiple positions be a switchable defender and he just looks so much further along uh, on both ends of the floor, but especially offensively. He looks f- so much further along than than I expected. I expected him to be a little bit more of a project player, but he didn't look like that. He looked like a guy that can come in and make an immediate a- uh, impact. Two last ones, honorable mention, DeAnthony uh, Melton and Wade Baldwin. Both guys um, both guys that just looked good. I, I didn't have a lot of second-year player. I guess that was, Wade Baldwin's the only second-year player uh, on this list, but he was a guy that looked like... Um, he could uh he could fill a role for Portland this season and and uh i i expect that he will be uh he'll mitigate some of the loss for for Portland and some of the different positions but i think he'll be a guy that that they can count on as their backup point guard when you have second year players or third year players in this instance when, uh, when you have third year players and second year players they they don't just have to look good they have to look great and and, and i thought wade baldwin looked great so uh, so those were, for, in my eyes, some of the big winners that I saw at Summer League. Let's close this out with the, with the big losers of Summer League. And it's always tough when, when you talk about the losers. You know, with winners, it's fun to hype up players and, and, and the positive vibes and all of that. But with, it is important in both instances, but especially with the losers, to say this is Summer League. Some of these guys look great in Summer League and they go on to be great. Some look great and they look bad. Some look bad and they go on to be great. So you you never know, but at least in Summer League, these are going to be some of the talking points. And we have to start with Trey Young, who I think has actually been a lot better than than what he's going to be given credit for in, in this Summer League. He was by no means bad. Um, however, just some of the shots and some of his inability to create separation – I think are going to be a a, a major storyline, as they should be, because through four games, 38 percent from the field, he did average 17 points per game. He did get six point eight assists per game. uh, And his passing, I thought, looked every bit as good as advertised. So if there's one silver lining for him, it's the fact that he was one of the top 10 um, assist throwers in, in, in summer league. But the big thing was just the separation. You worry about him based on his height, his physical limitations and that that's twofold on the offensive end it's can he get separation enough to get that shot off and and get that shot off not not solely based on step back jumpers because you don't you want to be able to create offense elsewhere on the court other than just step back jumpers but then defensively What do you do? Do teams target you nonstop? And when they do, how are you able to handle it? Well, I thought he got targeted an awfully an awful lot. And he just there were more instances than not where he looked completely helpless on the defensive end. And this is against even guys like Aaron Holiday, who's a heck of a player. But you wouldn't you would hope that. Aaron Holiday wouldn't be a guy that could just keep going right at Trey Young and right at him, and and I did miss the second half of the Atlanta Indy game where Atlanta came back. So so there's some some important context prov- you know missed there, but in the first half it was an absolute slaughter I I thought, and Aaron Holiday r- really took it to him. So Trey Young, not as horrible as I think most people are going to say, but still to me one of the losers of summer league because he had such a it looks like he might have not have the immediate impact um, that maybe Atlanta was hoping for. Maybe the biggest loser of all this is Dragon Bender. Third year player, I mentioned this earlier, but third year players, you want to come out and. Um and to really separate themselves and look different and i thought dragon bender separated himself in a bad way he looked that bad he looked that out of place phoenix had a lot of players there that will be on their regular season roster and i thought all of them looked impressive in one way or another uh except for dragon bender he he really looked like a guy that i mean maybe this is it for him maybe maybe he's he's a guy that has regressed in his three seasons and is actually a worse prospect now than ever um, and maybe not somebody that Phoenix will be wanting to invest a ton of time in. Now, I should say that he he is the type of player that would look bad in summer league types of players that look good in summer league are generally high volume scores especially at the guard position big time rebounders and shot blockers because when you're able to perform your one-on-one individual skills summer league's where you do it because there's not a lot of like the team concepts these guys only have like four practices before they step on the court for games so It really is almost more of a a pickup style game and and one-on-one players just shine and pick up a lot more. Well, uh, Dragon Bender is a guy that I think is a set you know, he needs to be set up. He's a, he spaces the floor, this or that. But even in that role, he had some really ugly misses on shots that you think, okay, you got to hit that shot if you're an NBA player. Feet set, wide open from the corner. You just got to knock those down. But then also, he just seemed to not know what to do with the ball. I mean, there, he passes up shots. I think he's a guy that. Phoenix might need to just tell him, shoot every time you touch the ball. You're Right now you need to just hone num- your number one skill, and your number one skill is shooting the ball. So when you're out there, you have a constant green light. When you touch it, just get to your spots and and and, and mentally prepare to be able to shoot the ball. He's a guy that seems to be thinking so much, and, and he's – and not thinking very quickly, quickly enough. He's thinking a lot, but not thinking fast enough. And he just seems to make the wrong play every time. So he, he really looked tough. I think Henry Ellison another guy. He was 17 of 66. He got up 66 shots. One of them, I think one of the most over through four games, one of the, the highest shot uh, attempt totals of anybody. And he shot 26% on those. Um, he did dish out 3.3 assists, 8.5 rebounds, but I thought he was, um i thought he was relatively unimpressive and again return players you want you you want to stand out marvin bagley a big loser because of the injury um i thought is not just in the las vegas summer league but leading up to that you know he had a monster game to open i think nba teams that that have defenders that can hang with him athletically, which in at the college level there's nobody. At the NBA level, he's still going to have that edge over most players but not as much of an edge. And once they go to that, you know, teams can kind of force him um, to to his, his offhand and sh- force him over his opposite shoulder. And when they did that, it just took a little bit away. But then, of course, to compound that with – I think he's a guy who as much as anyone would have benefited from the summer league, getting four, five, six games in just to kind of – you know, figure out the ways in which he's going to have to approach this summer um, to change his game or to improve his game. He was robbed of that with the injury. So I think you have to place him on the the losers list. Josh Akogi is a guy who I was pretty unimpressed with, um, and, and I really liked him coming to the draft. He's one of my sleeper picks. The knock on him was coming in. Coming from Georgia Tech, he was asked to be the guy on a bad team, and I always thought his skill set was much more suitable for being a fourth or fifth guy. If you take him off ball, he's not expected to create a lot. Then, then I think he could be pretty good. He instead looked like uh, sort of the opposite. His feel was very poor. He made some bad decisions, but he continued to be kind of a high usage player and. I think for him, I still believe in him quite a bit. the athletic tools he tested out the best at the combine in terms of vertical jump. He was near the top in terms of every single the bench press, the agility test, the the fast the speed test, and the quickness test. He tested off the charts and all of those. So the physical tools are there. He gives a tremendous amount of effort while on the court. I just think he has to kind of figure out who he is. and in my opinion, he's a low usage player, high level defender. Um, and if he, if he can be molded into that Minnesota, I think it'll be good. Terrence Ferguson numbers really poorly on, on him shooting the ball. And again, any, anytime you have a guy returning, you would like to see them just not shocked by, um, like the speed, you know, they have the advantage there shot 20, he played four games with seven to 32, 22% uh, from the floor. So not great for Terrence Ferguson. And then lastly, the loser, Anthony Irwin and his sleep cycle. The poor guy, too tired to record a podcast today. And so on Friday the 13th, here I am doing the solo one. Thanks so much for listening, guys. It was a great summer league. It was a lot of fun. And again, take all of these winners and losers with a grain of salt. Plenty of guys have, have earned Summer League winner title and gone on to have bus careers and, some, and, and vice versa. So thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week with a brand new all a whole new slate of brand new episodes. Thanks for tuning in. I am Adam Matas. You can catch my show and a more in-depth look at what Isaiah Thomas means to the Denver Nuggets uh, on Locked On Nuggets. We'll see you all next week.